God is so good, he's so faithful. I just want to talk to you for a little while. You know, so many weeks um, I come up here and my intention is maybe 20 minutes today. <laughs> and uh, those are usually the longest sermons of all. So it's never my intention to keep you for uh, an extended period of time or to bore you. Um, but uh, I just have a very simple thought that I want us to be reminded of today for this Christmas week. Christmas is on Friday, so when I see you next week, uh, Christmas will have been passed. So I just want to say Merry Christmas to everyone in here. We love you. And to whoever, whoever's listening out there, we love you. If you're listening this week, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, Christmas is uh, a very sweet time. You know, we love that we have some white outside. Maybe you don't love all the work that was involved with it, but we do love the white now that the work of it is done. And uh, so I'm, and I love just to spend this week with my family. And it's a very special time, but it, it becomes Christianese and Christian cliche to say, keep Christ in Christmas. It just becomes, you know, white noise like all the other phrases out there. But, you know, we really need to remember today what happened here on this special moment. And I just want to read from the Word of God. I want to go here. I want to read, firstly, a prophecy. Who knows the prophet Isaiah, right? He was a Jewish prophet, and uh, no one understood him. He prophesied about things a thousand years in advance. And uh, just like pretty much everything in the Word of God, no one understands what God is doing. But we must know this, and I want you to say this out loud, because I need your spirit, man, even if you think your mind knows it, to hear it through your mask. God, let's say this together, God is faithful. And God is a covenant-keeping God. God's a covenant-keeping God, and God is a promise-keeping God. It says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and you can actually find this theme throughout the entire Old Testament leading into the New Testament, right? The Old Testament, you can actually uh, say the word testament, or you can say the word covenant. It's really the same word, old covenant, new covenant. And throughout the entire old covenant, as Jesus fulfilled all the old covenants and gave us a new one, and that's what I'd like to speak to you about, Isaiah prophesied something here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is 1,000 years before Jesus was born. God prophesied through Isaiah what he was going to do. Isn't God amazing? I just need to hit the pause button right here and just say this. God knows what he's doing in this hour we're in right now. If God knew what he was going to do a thousand years in advance, then I think he knows what he's going to do in 2021. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. It doesn't really matter 
what happens, we need to know that God is faithful. We need to know that he is a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And I can't say it enough, but do not try to figure God out in your human mind because you never, ever will. And what happens is, is we become Christians and we seek the Lord. There's two knowledges. There's a knowledge that comes in the intellect, and that's a pre-Christ knowledge. But then as we get saved, we want to learn about God, and there could actually be a danger in learning so much about God that you could actually cross back into pre-Christ knowledge, which is just knowledge. It's just information. And to be honest, so much information can actually clog up revelation. Information, there's only so much room. You take a glass of water and fill it to the brim and try to put more into it. What happens? In order to make room for the new, some of the old has to come out. But there becomes this mixture. Really what happens is you just need to empty the glass completely and put in the new. And that's what we do when we come to Christ. Jesus said we need to come like children. Don't turn the children away. That's how you need to come. So simple. Such a simple, simple gospel. You need to empty out everything you know. And I've said this the last couple of weeks that Paul was filled with, uh, Paul the apostle, right, was the, was the Christian killer. He was the Jewish zealot, right? Because he knew he had all the information without the Spirit of the Lord. And when he had the revelation, then he threw out the information. Everybody wants to say that out loud. Once he had the revelation, he threw out the information. And we are so informed right now. We are informed like you would never <laughs> could imagine. They said in the end days, knowledge will run to and fro, right? No one knew what that meant when they wrote it. No one could understand it in the 1800s, 1950s, even 1980. Maybe someone just started to wonder. Maybe what it means that knowledge will run to and fro is that this internet that we're just starting to create could actually go worldwide, the World Wide Web, and maybe. And so today we have so much information, but we need to understand something that Jesus is a revelation. He is not information. And if you try to look at information, nobody understood Isaiah. And everybody tossed him out, actually, in his day. There was only a few that really received him. He, like all the prophets, was rejected. But he prophesied about this Jesus, this Jesus that we know and that we love and that this was fulfilled. And the reason I hit the pause button here, and I'm gonna, we're going to transition and, and go somewhere here, but I needed to just pause and just, I really felt like I needed to make this point today because we're Christians, and so we get used to being Christians, and sometimes we need to kind of dial back, pretend that we weren't Christians, that we're looking at Christ afresh and anew once in a while. In fact, maybe even every morning, just look at him anew. Maybe that's really what we need, afresh and anew, a brand new revelation, and just remember that, you know what? Just like when we came to him the first time, I don't know anything. I've obviously got it all messed up, 
So I'm going to surrender it all to you. I'm just going to lay it all before you. And I humble myself. I give up. You're God. I'm not. Take my life. Do something with it. Show me who you are. And, 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 and let's have a life here on this earth and ultimately in eternity together. Amen. <laughs> Maybe that needs to be daily. And so the Bible says that a thousand years in advance, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, the Bible says, when we flip over to the New Covenant, all right, so this is a thousand years in advance of the book of Isaiah, we can go to the book of Matthew, and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, the first book of the New Testament of the New Covenant, right, we see that it says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, as he considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Pause button. So what's happening here is Joseph, just like us, and just like the people during Isaiah's day, were a little confused. Because women... Don't get pregnant without men. <laughs> I think at, at this point, Joseph is old enough to got it figured out. I know how it works, okay, angel? I got it figured out, so something's not right here. And I just feel like the Lord wants us to be reminded today that he's a promise-keeping God and covenant-keeping God, but his ways are not our ways. And if you get stuck in trying to figure it out, you will miss him. Ultimately, you will also miss what he is about to do in this hour. So he said, do not be afraid, because Joseph, I'm going to school you here. I'm going to teach you something, which is this. I'm God and you're man. Technically, Joseph, you're right. It doesn't make sense that Mary is pregnant since she's a virgin. But he said to him something that Joseph really, it says it here in the scriptures. We read it because we have, not, we have, we have uh, behind the scenes knowledge. We know who the Holy Spirit is. We know Jesus on the scene ultimately, and we know his promise. And we have the full revelation of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph here just has to take the angel at his word to fully understand what this really means. But he says that he was conceived, she was conceived uh, Jesus is conceived inside her by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph doesn't understand what this means either yet, but he listens to the angel. It says, verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill, everybody say fulfill. God is a covenant promise-keeping God. God promised, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. You need to know that in this church today. And as Christians, I again, I know we know in our minds, we get to a certain place of maturity where they become like pillars and truths in us. 
but we need to remember them afresh. We need to realize again today uh, the simple gospel of Jesus, that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And the, what happens is, is we think we know it, but then eventually we get pushed to, an, to our brink. Everybody know what the brink is? I don't know what the brink is in you, but every one of us has a brink. All right? Every one of us hits a point where we did trust him and we, and we did believe him, but now I'm a little confused. And when I didn't worry, now I'm worrying. And I wasn't afraid, but now I'm afraid. And every single person in this room has that point where we need to go back to what we did as brand new baby Christians and realize he is God. And he is beyond us. And his ways are beyond us. And that he is faithful. And I don't know what that means in this time in my life, but I know that you are faithful. And so the Bible says... That God fulfilled something. Everybody say, God fulfilled his promise. All right, Isaiah chapter 7 was just one of the uh, testaments, one of the declarations of this promise. This promise had been spoken of many, many times, but specifically, he is quoting here Isaiah chapter 7 as one of them and says, Verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Verse 23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. One thousand years later, God's promise and his prophecy came to pass, just like he said it would amen isn't that amazing isn't that amazing it's such a simple you know this is abc's one two three christianity here but it's such an amazing testament about god it's something just to be reminded of and remember about his faithfulness and i want you today to to realize that this promise is something that god fought for for us and the bible says if we go all the way back, I want to take you back on this Christmas service, all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, and the Bible really, uh, some people say in the Old Testament that there are five covenants, some people say that there are three, some people say that there are six, some people say that there are eight, it really doesn't matter which one of those you believe, but the point is that in the Old Testament, God made covenants with man. And a covenant was basically a promise between two or more parties. I'll make a promise to you, you make a promise to me. As long as we both keep our promises, we're going to keep this agreement, this covenant. Who knows that humanity broke their promise to God every single time? And you have to realize that God's faithfulness to his covenant, the reason that God keeps adjusting and remaking his covenant is because he's trying to, how do I say this? He's God, so he's all-knowing. So when I say he's trying to figure it out, it's not like he doesn't know how to do it, but he's trying to work around fault-filled humanity. Every time humanity figures out a way to break the covenant, God comes up with a new way 
to keep his covenant. Even though, do you realize this, that God was under no obligation to keep his covenant? Legally speaking, legally speaking, if you take God and his covenant into a court of law, God had no obligation for Jesus to come onto the earth. Because in every way, shape, and form, we broke the covenant. We rejected him. We rejected his prophets. We rejected his law. And we figured out, not only did we reject him, we figured out ways to worship the earth, worship Mother Earth, worship the sun, the moon, the stars. They were making up gods, right? Carving stuff out of wood and plating them in gold and then calling it God. And, and all of the earth has done this throughout the generations. And the Lord's love and grace and mercy, I think sometimes uh, as Christians, we need to remember, we certainly know the world doesn't respect it, but as Christians, sometimes it becomes, we're so used to it that we don't realize how faithful and how great his grace and his mercy and his love is. We don't realize how, because do you, you take every, any single person of us in here, right? Any one of us in here. Think of a best friend. Think of someone you love. The moment that they hurt you one time, there's a reaction in you, isn't it? Maybe you don't cast them out forever. But your friend or someone that loves you hurts you. They lie to you. They steal from you, whatever, right? You immediately respond to them with our humanity. Now, eventually, that person might do so much to you that you say, you know, you say of them, they're dead to me, right? You cut them off. Who's ever done that? Who's willing to admit that you have cut people off in your life? We hit a certain point, cut off. You and I are no longer friends or lovers, whatever that is. You know, we're, we're cut off. That's it. Separated forever. Don't come back to me. I don't care if you apologize. I don't want to hear it. God has no obligation whatsoever to love us. And it's not just that we're like, oh, God, I don't have time for you. But we start killing. He starts sending messengers pleading with humanity to repent and to come back to him because he really wants to still love us. And we take his messengers and we kill them. Do you realize how incredibly special this promise on Christmas was when Jesus came? That's how great his love is for us. And we should never get used to his love. Never just get, you know, well, oh, yeah. I mean, who, who only reads the Christmas story once a year? You read the rest of the Bible, but like around Christmas, we come and we read this part, right? Okay, it's tradition. I should go back and refresh. I know the story. Let me go read those verses. I'm not judging any of you. I think I'd probably do the same thing. It's a big Bible. There's a lot of it to read. So it's my time of year to read these things to remind myself of the story. But this is an incredible promise, Emmanuel. It's not just a Christmas sermon, but realize this, that if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, all that God wanted with Adam and Eve was to be their friend. And he said, I'll give you everything. 
In fact, we don't even fully understand. You know, we try to imagine what it was like for them, but we really can't imagine the paradise that they had. And he said, all, all that I want you to do is just live here, love each other, love the earth, take care of the earth, take care of the animals, name the animals, Adam, and, and don't eat that tree over there. That's it. That's it. Just don't eat that fruit over there. <laughs> don't tell someone that they can't. Don't tell someone no, because that's the very thing that they want to do. You know, sometimes people ask questions like, why do you have to climb Mount Everest? Why go to space? And there is an earthly, there's a phrase that they say, it's because it's there. You ever heard that answer? Because it's there. And there's this thing in humanity that wants to push the boundary to go, you know, beyond really where man should be and should go. I'm not saying that it's ungodly. I'm just saying there's a thing in your human nature that wants to break past the boundaries and go places that men can't breathe, right? More people die than have made it to the top of Everest if you do the research. And yet God's love and his mercy, even though Adam and Eve rejected it and, 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 and rejected him, created another covenant with Noah. And immediately, they break that covenant. So he makes another covenant with Abraham. And he says in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. This is my covenant, verse 4, Genesis 17. My covenant with you, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 7, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I want you to say that out loud. Everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. We know that now from Genesis 17, doesn't take long, that they break the covenant again, but God is protecting his seed. He protects Isaac, protects Jacob, right? He protects them. The whole earth just rejects them. Now, the whole, at this point, you go back and you do the history and you can, I mean, you can go and look and the whole world now is just worshiping the stars and the sun and the moon and and the earth, and animals, and whatever else they feel like. And so he, God's keeping his covenant, but it's only with one person right now, out of the entire earth. But he's such a faithful covenant-keeping God, he doesn't want to break it, that he's, that he, he's like, well, I'm gonna, I'll make a covenant with this people, and they'll be my people, and I'll be their God. And then he furthers that covenant because uh, we, and we just looked at Exodus, and we've been looking at Egypt, and he furthers it, and he says to them in Exodus chapter 29, verse 42, he says to them that the tabernacle will be there, and verse 43, that I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence, and verse 44, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. This is what God has wanted from the beginning. Finally, 
I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. That's what I want. That's what God, we literally know God's heart for creation. You know, we have these books, what on earth am I here for? What's my purpose? Purpose-driven life, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very simple. Yes, there's all kinds of facets and things that you can and can't do on the earth inside that purpose, you know. But really, this, the simplicity of it is this, that he's God. He wants to be God to us, which means what? I want to be a father to you. And we go through the, go, we don't have time for that. That's an immense study of all of his promise all of his promises and blessings to us, but he wants to shower that on his people. And all he wants us to do is recognize that that's who he is. And once you recognize that, that's reverence, that's honor, that's worship, then we reap those benefits and we enter into this friendship, which he calls Moses his friend. Moses started to actually get that, and David gets that, and a few throughout the word get it, but very few. And so he says, and they will know, verse 46, that I am the Lord their God. I will be the one. It says, I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. So the Bible says the reason he brought them out of Egypt was so that he could live among them. Everybody say live among them. The whole reason that he brought them out of Egypt was not See, sometimes we come to Christ because we're like, we tell people and we sell the gospel, we sell Jesus as this, come to Jesus so you can be free. So they come to the cross, they repent of their sins, and then they're like, well, now I can go live my life because I've repented of my sins. But ultimately, what Jesus did was unlocked the chains, freed us from the grip of Egypt. That's the world, that's Satan, right? And we looked at all those analogies these last few weeks and rescued us from that so that in our freedom we could recognize that he is God, worship him, and that he can be our God. That's ultimately, ultimately what coming to Christ is. And it's been uh, skewed throughout history and become other things, and I thank the Lord that Reformations happen, and that restorations and revelations have happened still to this day and brought back the simplicity and reminded uh, humanity of what God is doing in the earth and who Jesus is, right? We're so thankful that we do know the full truth and the real truth about Christ. And it is a very, very simple gospel that gets all skewed and complicated complicated and today let's just come back to the simplicity of this that he brought us he rescued us he freed us so that he could live among us god wants to be with us god wants to be one with us we can go let's fast forward now jesus is an adult he's preaching to his people and he says in John 15, right, as you know me, that's one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible. I and you, you and me, we're one. Because my father and I are one. John chapter 17, he prays for us, prays for the church that day, his disciples, and for us, for all future, all future descendants. I pray for them that they would be one, one with each other. That's why it's important that we're one. 
because if I'm one with him and you're one with him, then we must be one. That's only, there's only one. One is one, right? One is not two. So if I'm one and you're one, then we're one automatically. And that oneness with him is what he has wanted from the beginning, a oneness. And we on the earth in oneness with him are representatives of the oneness of God in heaven. It's such a simple gospel, isn't it? This is such a simple Christianity and simple gospel. And his love and his mercy and his grace to us. Who has, in your Christianity, you've been a Christian, and now, and, and let's say you've been a Christian for some years, maybe a couple years, maybe decades, and God is still reminding you of how you fail him constantly, but he gives you grace and mercy and shows it to you in love, and you've given it to him, and then he takes those things out of your life, and you truly have experienced that oneness, right? Who in here has experienced that? Has anybody in here experienced that oneness that he's talking about? That's what he wants with us. And then what happens is automatically we represent him, because, because if, if what he is doing in us, if we get this right, that the whole point that the whole thing, Jesus coming, was a fulfillment to a promise that he had been making since Adam and Eve. And he had been making every time. Okay, I'll do it again, Noah. I'm going to do it again. I'll do it again. I'll create a people. I, and, and then immediately what happens here in Exodus is what? Exodus 29, he's saying these things, and they reject God. We know the story, right? It's, almost, it's hard to read the Old Testament, isn't it? It's no harder to read the Old Testament than it is just to look at society, society today because we have done the same exact thing and the church has done the same thing. But God's love and his mercy and his grace is on the scene right now. God is calling out. He is calling out to his church. He's calling out to his people. I just want you to be my people and I want to be your God. So simple. At this point in my life, about uh, five Five years ago, six years ago uh, and a half, I guess, maybe seven years ago this coming spring. I remember exactly when it was. I was seeking God in a season of my life, and I was coming to this place. And I'm just like, Lord, what do you want from me? Right? We go through these stages with God because now we know him, and now I know his word. And, okay, Lord, what is your purpose? What do you want from me? And, um, and it was like a long season. It was like six months of me not... I don't know, just kind of being out of whack with God, but not in sin or anything, but just, I, you know, God is like, I know that he's pursuing me and he's keeping himself uh, veiled, not so that he's hidden away, but so that I keep seeking him. So for like six months, I'm just seeking him and seeking him and seeking him. And then finally, the most simple answer that you could ever ask for, the Lord just said to me, so simple, and I broke and it was done like this little depression I was in for this season because I'm like, God, where are you? And it was instantly over. And you know what it was? He just said, I want you to be a good man. That's it. And it was instantly, I just want to be your God and I want you to be my son. And I was so free. Now, the church ended up starting not too long. We actually, within uh, two weeks, one month, we started talking about opening this place just like that. But he needed to get me right for this to be right. Isn't that amazing? The outworkings of Christ from you 
is not your purpose. That's automatic. You being Christ in the earth, if that's what you think you are, is being Christ into the earth, fulfilling it, that's where we hear that really sad line from Jesus that they said, Lord, I did all these things for you. And he says, I don't know you. That the whole purpose is just to know us. The doing is automatic. I just by accident heard about, just by accident this morning, I wasn't looking uh, this up, but uh, this little blip of history about Canada came up. I just happened to hear it this morning while I was having breakfast because um, I was looking up something else about the covenant. And so I was watching a video, and as YouTube does, it leads to something else. And it just talked about these Jesuit priests that came over into Canada um, when, when they were kind of, you know, becoming a new nation. It was called New France. It's just some information I just learned today. But anyway, these priests went in, and they started witnessing to the Indians. And this one um, priest joined with this clan of Indians and and actually had a real gift for language, so he translated the Bible into this group of Indians' language, and he becomes a, a, a small church with them, just with this tribe. And they love him, he loves them, and, and then what happens is, is an Indian war breaks out between a greater a, a force of the region, and he decides instead of abandoning these people, you know, he's not an Indian, but he has become their pastor, and he stays with them, and they end up torturing him and killing him for basically staying with this Indian tribe. And, you know, the thing is, and I just heard it, and that was it. And I was like, okay, why did I even, you know, it was just such random information for me to hear today, except that the answer is this, that his love for Christ, his oneness with Christ was already finished. He went there not because he was trying to prove anything to, to God. He wasn't trying to be a good person. He wasn't before God's throne saying, God, you know, what's wrong in my life? What's right in my life? Let's get things right. God, I'm struggling with this. He had settled it with the Lord. He was one with the Lord. And the, and the oneness with God caused him to live externally, automatically, out of what was done internally. God amongst us, God among us, God in us, God with us. And as you read through your word, you will find that there are people that want God because of things he can give them and things he can do for them. And as soon as things get shaky, they leave him. And then there are people through the word that just want God, that just want what God wants, which is just to know him, him to know them, and, and that that faithfulness of God to us, even if it meant death, was so special and so amazing that he was not willing to leave. Because now he's, he's, not, he's not a, he's not a, a, a witness anymore. He is not, a, he's not a doing a service. He's not there as a job. He just is. And I know that I've, I've said this before, and, and I'm not the first one that has said this, but Jesus didn't become Jesus. Jesus just was Jesus. The outworkings of Jesus are not because he was trying to be Jesus. He just was. He just is. And we need to just be. We just need to be. We need to get into that place with him where we just recognize, God, you are faithful. God, you love us so much. God, your grace and your mercy. I believe that Christians need a revelation of God's grace and mercy daily. I think every Christian, not just the world, I think Christians need a 
a pulpit, uh, uh, we used to call it the altar, right? The old Christianese, and it's not, it shouldn't be so far gone, right? I don't know what church buildings call them today, but this little area here, you know, it's just a stage in a rental building, but we call this the altar. This was the place where God is. You know, you're just sitting in a seat, and this is where God is. I'm just joking. But you would come up here, and you would get on your knees, and we'd have, you know, a salvation moment. And I believe that Christians need daily salvation moments, that daily revelation of, Lord, this is what you've saved me from, and this is what I could have been, and this is where my life could have gone, and I'm so thankful that you are not just God in heaven, but you are right here with me, that you never leave me. It is such an amazing promise that God fulfilled on this Christmas. It was one that it was prophesied and prophesied and prophesied and and I just want to read just a few more verses, and I'll close it up. It says in Ezekiel chapter 37, and he gives them this, really the whole chapter is, is, is an amazing chapter here. A lot of Ezekiel is prophesying about Christ and the time that will come, and even the time that will come ahead of us. Um, but he says some, that he's going to unify them in chapter 37. He's going to save them from their sinful apostasy, apostasy chapter uh, 37, verse 23 and he will cleanse them. And then he says in verse 23, they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. That's the whole point. That's what Jesus, when he was born, when the angel said to Joseph, I want you to take this Mary. I want you to stay with her. Don't be afraid. And this baby that's coming is an answer to promise. It's an answer to a covenant that I made 4,000 years ago to Adam and Eve. This is an answer that I made 3,000 years ago or whatever it is to Abraham. This is an answer that I made 1,000 years ago to the people of the time of Isaiah. And this is an answer to the people 2,000 years from now that will be able to receive him in the future. That's us today. That that's what he said and he said that they, that he will be their God. And he said, my servant David, verse 24, will be their king. That's Jesus coming in the lineage of David. And they will only have one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. Obviously, we know New Testament that that land Hebrews talks about that as the promised land is Christ. It's not a place, but it's Christ, right? Amen. And they and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there forever, generation after generation. My servant David will be their prince forever. And he says in verse 26, and I will make a covenant of peace. A covenant of peace. Remember the angels? They said, right? We have, we have certain key words. We have that he's the shepherd. We have that he is Emmanuel. And we also have, right, the season of Christmas, right? You see all those little symbols. People don't even know what that is, but, right, we have peace. And we just think, oh, the Christmas peace because it's peaceful. No, it's that Jesus, the prophecy from the angels, Jesus is going to bring peace, that there's peace. There's not just peace in your heart, but there's peace in the earth. And, and the earth continued to live in turmoil, but God's people 
within the earth had peace as a people, not just individually but corporately, that his people were, were at peace. And he says, it'll be an everlasting covenant. There it is again. God has fought and fought and fought for us. The devil has tried to steal away your peace, tried to steal away this covenant. The world has sought to take it away from you. Every single generation that has lived on this earth, uh, you have more and more distractions and more and more things and more and more information to steal away your time and that peace inside you and, uh, and the identity and that purpose inside you, but it's only Jesus. The world even understands it, but then doesn't live it. We need to be reminded of this statement that you can't take it with you. And that's not just things. That is anything that you focus on or put your time into or put your heart into, unless it is in oneness with Christ and in his purpose and for the kingdom of God, none of it matters. It's a good reminder today, and it's fine you know, I love to be outdoors. I love the outdoors. But I understand as I'm out there that this is nice and this is peaceful and this is good. This is just good to get my heart at rest. But I understand that this is not it. That Jesus, you are it. And when all of this is washed away, you and I will remain and we'll have eternity together. Amen. And then he says, he says, that I will give them their land and increase their numbers. I will put my temple among them. That is Jesus. That's us with Christ inside of us, right? We're the temple. He's, the, he's within us in this whole picture. And I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's the same phrase that he said to Moses, the same exact phrase. And that's exactly what Emmanuel was, that finally... Jesus, the once and for all. See, the covenants, I don't have time, but you can look at Jeremiah 31. talks about how we broke it, but then God said, I'm going to create a covenant that can't be broken. I want you to say this out loud, that Jesus is a covenant that cannot be broken. Every other covenant was broken. It was messed with. So some people say, well, well it's everlasting. Yes, Jesus, this is what it says in Hebrews 8. We'll just go here for sake of time. Jesus said, verse, verse uh, 6 of Hebrews chapter 8, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Everybody say, replace it. All of the faulted covenants, and they weren't faulted because of God. God fulfilled every one of his covenants. He is everlasting. When he said it's an everlasting covenant, God never broke his covenant. We did. So finally, and Satan exploited that, didn't he? exploited that and even up to date with our lives to treat keep us the reason he wants to keep you out of christ is because he knows in christ that there is a covenant and inside that covenant is a protection and a blessing and a hope and a peace and a joy 
and that, and that the world cannot touch, it cannot compare to, so he wants to try to keep you from it in every way, shape, and form. But the Bible says that God made a new covenant, a second covenant. That's when Jesus, when God said, I will be amongst them this time, once and for all, this is not going to be like when I rescued them from Egypt. This time, it'll be forever and ever and ever. There will be no waiting. There's no gap of time. The only waiting is this human body, but instantaneously we know that the Bible says, right, in Colossians chapter 3, that you are seated, present tense. That is right now, even though you look around at each other in this room and say, how is that possible? That's in your human mind. The Bible says, present tense, that your spirit man is seated with Christ Instantly, when you say yes to him and have surrendered to him, instantly you are seated with him right now at the right hand of the Father. And the final picture is that this body will be resurrected, but your spirit man has already been resurrected. That is the final covenant that when Jesus came and what he did. And he said, it says in verse 8, when God found fault with the people, he said this. This is what see, God found fault with the other covenants, and because not his covenant, but with the people. He said, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And he said, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. Come on, you know these verses, but don't just let them breeze over your head, because we know them. We become mature, and we know his word. Hear it afresh, hear it anew today, that I will be their God, and they will be my people. That was the answer. That's what the covenant was. That's what Jesus came to do. He, when he canceled out sin and death, when he dealt with Satan, he was doing so many things on the earth, but all those things had a purpose, but it was to bring this purpose. All those things had to be done, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to deal with Satan. Satan was a necessary evil, pun intended, to get us to the place where we could be one with him again, that he wanted all along. And he said, they will not need, he says, I will, I, they will, I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors and they will need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Amen. 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 You know, it was only the obsolete part was that we fail him, so the covenant became invalid. Jesus, even if we fail him, will not fail us. Isn't that incredible? And that's what he canceled out. He will fight for you. The Bible says, present tense, that Jesus is sitting next to the Father pleading for you on the earth. That the Holy Spirit constantly, daily, moment by moment, in your dreams, on the radio, 
You can hear it if you'll listen. Is constantly wooing us to get closer to him, to push aside the world, to push aside our fears, to push aside our worries, push aside our opinions and our feelings and even information and to live in that revelation of Jesus Christ, simplicity of the gospel. Amen.